everybody, and welcome to the 200th Weekly Roundup podcast. I cannot believe we made it this far. I am so excited. I actually had a lot of stuff planned that I wanted to launch today on the 200th, but because of everything going on, absolutely everything has been put on hold. Everything that I wanted to do, all the very cool plans, they all, I think, are still happening, just at a different pace than they were. So uh, while I do want to have a very heartfelt and genuine thank you to everybody that's been watching and been a part of this for so long, I do want to say that there will be 200th announcements. It might just be later this summer. So maybe we'll pick a random, you know, number 213 episode to celebrate, but everything that was happening should still be happening. Uh, It's just not today. But it still doesn't make it any less special to me. I can't believe I went through 200 weeks of this. Part of me feels like I've been doing this forever, and another part feels like I've only done like a handful of them. Just time flies so freaking fast. Um, I am happy that we are still doing the giveaway, though. So while it's not as cool as some of the other stuff I uh, would have been announcing today, for one lucky winner, it certainly will be. Uh, And once again, this week is a RetroTink 2X SCART from donated from Mike Chi from RetroTink and of course the 3D printed case donated by Greg from laserbear.net. These things are both awesome. Uh, I actually like both cases for the RetroTink products. I I think I equally like the clear injection molded case as much as I do the blue 3D printed. Uh, the only thoughts I have to that is the 3D printed ones always look so much better in person. For whatever reason, they just don't really photograph that well. But when you're holding it and looking at it, they, they look very good quality. So uh, let's do a drawing live now like I have been the past few weeks and see who the lucky winner is. And as always, please remember to share and and just to help get the word out because I do like, you know, I do love giveaways and stuff like this. I do like putting a smile on people's faces, especially the people that say, oh, I've never won anything before or I don't bother because, you know, I never win or anything like that. So please help share it. I'm still getting murdered in the algorithm from YouTube, still having the problem where a lot of videos aren't getting emailed and notified so anyway let's uh let's jump in and do the drawing and see who the lucky winner is okay now on to doing the actual drawing as with the previous weeks i am going to go through the whole process right here live on camera uh just to show everybody that this is all legit and um also just a another reminder that i it's not case sensitive so anybody that typed giveaway should be able to do it uh Loading up the comments now. Okay, now to pick the winner. And it looks like the winner is Buzz Lombardi. So, thanks very much for your support, Buzz. I really hope you enjoy the 2X SCART. It really is a very cool product and a very easy way to get your RGB SCART consoles over to HDMI. First up, Castlemania Games is now taking pre-orders on the GameCube 101 Digital Port mod. So that's the mod a few weeks ago we talked about that Dan, Citrus 3000 PSI, designed that allows you to take a GameCube without the digital port, remove the analog port, and put the digital port in its place. And I think people's first reaction to that might have been, well, why not just do an internal HDMI mod? But the truth is there aren't any kits available right now. You'd have to do it yourself completely from scratch. And on top of that, by doing it this way, it allows future compatibility with any adapter that plugs into the digital port. So years from now, when we have the 8K version of the Carby or something, uh, you'll be able to just use that without having to undo your internal 
external mod. You'd be able to just plug it in the same way you would a normal GameCube that has both output ports. So if you were looking to do this conversion, um, definitely pre-order from Castlemania. Uh, and also, if you don't need audio out, if you're just going to an HDMI-only device, then it could be a no-cut mod. But if you do need audio out, there's a 3.5 millimeter jack, so just a tiny little hole that gets you uh, left and right audio as well as composite video. So you could still have that as well. So it would even be good for any streamers that just play on a uh, composite video TV, um, a CRT TV, and then stream via HDMI. But anybody interested, check out the link. Woozle, the creator of the Game Boy Advance consoleizer, has just teased more pictures of his Nintendo DS consoleizer with no release date in sight. I want to say that first. Um, this is just kind of a work in process or work in progress project he's been working on and I can't remember what I'm supposed to talk about and what I'm not supposed to talk about so I'm just going to read through Alex's post because if it's here then it's already public <laughs> um, it's at the moment going to have one HDMI output it's only compatible with the original model Nintendo DS, uh, but you can configure the HDMI output for different options. So you could do a mirror of just the top screen, just the bottom screen, or both either vertically or horizontally. So depending on the game and what you need to do, you could have pretty much any combination of things like it. Um, and uh, he's looking into a feature that could rotate the video signal uh, so vertical ones can be played properly without having to rotate your TV. Um, also, this won't adjust the internal operating frequency of the DS, so you don't have to worry about any minor changes or anything like that. I still don't think it's an issue for Game Boy Advance and speedrunners in 99% of cases, uh, but it's still something that's good to know. Um, and it looks like Greg from Laser Bear is working on a case to, to accompany this mod. My Life in Gaming recently posted part two and another very in-depth look at first-party controllers for all different consoles spanning many generations. And once again, it was just as awesome as the first one. Um, this really put certain things into perspective, and I didn't even realize there was a bigger PS1 controller out there for a little while. Uh, I think I'd always seen the DualShock the white DualShocks and assumed that was the other one out there. I don't know. I, I don't want to spoil anything, so definitely watch it. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Even though I've used all of those controllers except that one, I still found it interesting and I always appreciate their perspective. And the one thing that kind of always cracks me up is while I do prefer the smaller Saturn controller and I do prefer the smaller Xbox controller, I never minded the bigger ones and I certainly don't have the same passionate hatred for them that a lot of other people do. So I, I don't know, is it just a hand size thing? And there's no, I'm not making a Voltar joke here or anything like that. Um, I'm quite literally just asking, is it just about hand size or is it, um, is it something else to do with it? I know I think the trigger buttons on the larger Saturn controller aren't that great. So that certainly makes a lot of sense, but uh, definitely interested in anybody's thoughts on what you think about different controller sizes and stuff like that. And definitely check out their video. It's long, but it's very worth watching if you're even slightly into controllers. John Linneman from Digital Foundry just posted a very cool retrospective and review of the Streets of Rage series. He starts out talking about the original three for the Sega Genesis, as well as the Game Gear and Master System ports a bit as well. Um, and hearing about the original ones really helped put it into, uh, I guess I gained a, a newer appreciation for the games. I'd always liked them, but having it presented like this really made me realize how different and cool they were from your average just basic side-scrolling beat-em-up. And then the video turned into a review and an outline of the newer game and behind the scenes footage and how it was made and um, really just 
an awesome video if you're even slightly interested in Streets of Rage. Now, this video also concentrates on the PS4 and PC versions of the game for, for Streets of Rage 4. So there was a follow-up video that he posted talking about the Xbox One and Switch versions. Uh, and it's my recommendation, respectfully, that if you um, are only going to get the PS4 or PC versions, you could just watch the first video and uh, it's everything that you would need to know. If you own a Switch or an Xbox One, you might want to watch the second one anyway. Um, the short version is they all kind of perform very very well and the same, but there's some changes, uh, especially some weird option changes you might want to be in, you know, in the loop about before purchasing those versions. But overall, it seems like a very cool game. And while I haven't had a time, I had the time to try it out yet. I do really like the artwork style. I'm really happy they didn't go like modern retro or something or what a lot of the newer games do i'm happy they took a completely different take on this and while i was skeptical when the game first came out i mean i, I liked it i thought it looked great but i was kind of skeptical as will this game really hold up to the originals it seems like it's certainly coming close so if you're even a small fan of the beat-em-ups i highly recommend checking this one out Ben Venn has just opened pre-orders on the El Cheapo SD ROM cart for the Atari Lynx. It's only $45 and is micro SD based and supposedly has instant loading features or at least near instant loading. Also, there's a few extra things like um, onboard EEPROM for saving purposes that you could even have homebrew titles right to. So overall, it seems pretty neat. But for me, the price is certainly what does it. That's really cheap for a fully functional ROM cart. Um, and even if it doesn't come with a case, which I'm not sure if it does, that's, you know, in my opinion, that's still perfectly fine. And I'm, you know, I think that's a, a great option. Um, there's also the game drive out for the links. And then there's also that single flash cart that I talked about last year. So uh, links owners really have awesome choices now and they could just choose whichever fits their needs the best. Um, so anybody interested, check out um, the link for pre-orders. Um, and I'm also trying to get a hold of Ben for a bunch of other things, but I think my emails aren't going through because his come to me, but I don't, think he's getting mine. So if you're friends with Ben, let him know I said what's up and to, to get back at me. There's now an English translation patch available for the Japanese PlayStation 1 game LSD Dream Emulator. Um, and I'll admit I hadn't heard of the game until I read Alex's article on it. Uh, and it seems like it's something similar to like a walking simulator genre of a game. Um, and it's, you know, I'm not sure why it's described as LSD dream emulator. I guess maybe that's a way of saying it's a little trippy and feels like you're walking around in a dream, but it seems weird. And it seems like something I would certainly love to give a few minutes of my time to, to see if I was into it. You never know. Very often with stuff like this, I try it and I go, oh, that was neat. But occasionally I'll get sucked into it and end up being a fan. So, uh, if you'd like to try a very weird game that up until now was really Japanese only, uh, give the patch a try and see what you think of the game. I just reviewed the Fenrir optical drive emulator for the Sega Saturn, and overall I liked it. The only major downside is that it's only compatible with Saturns with 20-pin CD-ROM connectors, um, so I think the majority of them are not that. So if you have a Model 1 Saturn, pop the top off and see if it's compatible. Uh, but overall, it seemed to perform pretty well. I've had it for a few weeks now, almost a month, I think. Um, and I did find a bunch of bugs, and they already fixed them. So that's one of the things I never like to do in my reviews, is I just think it would be completely useless and counterproductive if I spent a lot of time going through 100 games and telling you which ones worked and which one didn't. Because 
by the time the video went live, there's probably already a firmware update out to fix some of these. And coincidentally, their fir another firmware went up, you know, 10 minutes after I posted the video. It's minor changes, nothing major, but overall, it just, it seems like a product that the hardware is finished, at least for 20-pin Saturns, and the firmware is still a work in progress, but good enough that if you bought it, you'd probably be happy with it. Um, as with all optical drive emulators, you do get a speed boost in that it doesn't have to spin up the CD or move the laser, but you are limited by the bus speed of the CD-ROM controller on the console. So while I showed um, some loading time comparisons uh, in the review, it's not going to be a miracle thing. You're not going to get instant one-second loading. You're still going to have to wait for the uh, the data to transfer over the CD-ROM bus. Um you know, other than that, I guess I would just take a look at this and all of the other Saturn solutions coming out and choose which one fits your needs the best. So do you have a dead CD-ROM drive in your Saturn? Definitely pick up this or I guess the mode coming out late next month. Um, I think they're both good choices. Which is better? I mean, I haven't tried the mode yet, but I personally would make my decision based on, do you want to load the entire ROM set? Uh, if so, get the mode with an SSD. Do you just want an inexpensive solution? Or I guess a fairly priced solution is probably a better way to describe it because it's not cheap. It's just about a hundred bucks. Um, but you could just pick up, you know, a cheap 32 gig micro SD for a few dollars and there you go. So there's great choices. There's certainly a lot more coming for the Fenrir, and I didn't want to talk about new features because, once again, I don't want to put pressure on the devs. I don't want to have a review out there that says, here's how it works now, but, you know, here's what's coming soon, and what if they run into a roadblock in the final step and they can't make it happen? But there's more coming on the Fenrir that's certainly worth paying attention to. I would just pick whichever solution is best for you. And the other thing that I think I've had a lot of people in the comments talk about are, you know, a roll of blank CDs, a good burner, you know, and a, a new laser for your CD is cheaper than this. It's not nearly as easy as that. You know, let's even forget about burning CDs and how much of a pain that could be sometimes. It's also, how do you know what's wrong with your CD-ROM drive assembly? And this is something that I've personally dealt with a lot because I test a lot of junk consoles that I have to repair to do some of these videos. So you think maybe you have an aging laser in your Saturn. So you recap the CD-ROM drive just to see if that fixes it, and it doesn't. So then you order another laser, and then what if that doesn't fix it? So it's kind of, you know, whereas the alternative, you just buy the optical drive emulator, plug it in, and you're done. So... Really, I would almost always suggest going with an ODE, at least with the Saturn, whenever, you know, maybe in 2025 when the Satiator is released, there's an option for people that want discs and, um, you know, some kind of SD way to boot games. But I just kind of look at the overall picture and concentrate on that because it's almost never just as easy as, oh, order a, you know, order a new laser from China and be done with it. Um, but, you know, check out the review, make your own decision on it. Uh, you know, thanks to 8BitMods for sending me one, and um, I'll definitely be doing more testing on it in the future. The creators of the brand new Sega Master System game, Voyage, A Sorcerer's Vacation, just did an interview with Stika to talk about the making of the game and what sets it apart from other Alex Kidd and Miracle World hacks, because it's a game that's based on that engine, but they have all new graphics and uh, sounds and everything else for it, and... 
Uh, I remember when that game was released in, uh, I think it was early January. I remember watching a video on it and talking about it here on the podcast, and I was really impressed with it. And I just haven't had any time to sit down and give it a try. Um, But it seems very cool, and a lot of the things they talked about in the interview uh, made me like it even more. So if you're even slightly interested in a brand new SMS game, definitely listen to the interview. Uh, Also, they said they're thinking about making a physical release of it. I think they ordered PCBs, and they're in the midst of getting the rest of the stuff done so it seems in my opinion it seems like a game that's good enough to warrant a physical release so check out the interview see what you think um download the the game now the just the software patch is available for free it's only the the full physical release that they're charging for which obviously is totally awesome and fair so uh, definitely check this one out It looks like there was a huge leak of Nintendo source code, ranging all the way back to the N64, all the way up through the Wii. Um, And I guess somebody hacked the servers of the company that designed the iQ, the Chinese version of the N64, and they've been releasing that. I actually think they've been releasing that for a while now. I think this hack happened a lot farther back than people realize because I've been kind of kept in the loop of this stuff and I've just kept my mouth shut and to be honest distanced myself from it because I don't want anything to do with theft like that but I've certainly heard about what's been happening and I've heard people talking about it and discussing it Uh, and I had no plans on talking about it and uh, neither did I it seems like modern vintage gamer didn't either but when major publications started picking up on it it's not like we're going to do any harm the cat's already out of the bag Um, and you know I'll I'll recommend you watch modern vintage gamers take on this to get some good perspective um the concerns that i have though is what does this mean for how nintendo treats us because making an emulator is totally legal if you reverse engineer something you figure out how it works and you make an emulator to write the software and you don't include any intellectual property you can't get sued for that However, if Nintendo thinks that you're using some stolen code in that emulator, they could sue you. And at the very least, you know, even if they don't win, the very sad truth in stuff like this is whoever has more money wins, and it's always Nintendo. (laughs) So I'm wondering what's going to come of this. You know, if if somebody ends up reverse engineering it and making a Mr. Core for the N64, I, I still strongly think that not only does that not hurt Nintendo, I really do think it does nothing but gives them more publicity and maybe kick them in the butt to get more N64 games out on the Switch, which people will buy. But, you know, there's also a lot of damage that could be done from this. You know, I don't want Nintendo coming after people saying, well, you have an N64 emulator, so obviously you stole our code and getting hard work shut down. Or as the point Modern Vintage Gamer makes, what about the Dolphin team who has not used any stolen code? At least uh, 99.9% sure it's all hard work. That, But what if Nintendo says, oh, well, it's clear they had to have stolen code in there, so just shut the project down. Or what if somebody forks the project and puts the stolen code in that are they going to come after the main project leaders and stuff so it's it's really strange to think what could come of this um you know i think at first people might might have thought oh cool source code now we could take consoles that aren't made anymore so you know you're not really hurting nintendo and do some cool stuff with them but i think there's a lot of negative repercussions that could happen as well so uh, I'm kind of going to be just be sitting on the sidelines watching this one. I respectfully don't want anything to do with it. I just kind of want to watch it unfold and see what happens. I just hope it ends up uh, it ends up being a positive thing and not a negative thing, you know. Um, 
as for what was leaked and exactly what you could do with it, uh, I also want to walk the line of being careful on this. So maybe check out some of those other larger publications that have a budget if they get sued for talking about Nintendo in that way. <laughs> no disrespect, just kind of got to be careful these days. Here's one that got me really excited. I woke up this morning to a few messages from my buddy Dan who told me that somebody got another Metroid 2 remake playable on a Raspberry Pi. So the way this all happened is through a new piece of software, or at least relatively new piece of software, called Box86 that allows you to run x86 Linux games on non-x86 Linux-like ARM processors, such as that are ones that are in the Raspberry Pi. Um, the, the original email or video that was sent out about this, I guess, was a preview, and just this morning, the, the OS build launched called Raspbian X, uh, and you load it the same way that you load all other Raspberry Pi images. Check out the other video in the page for info on that. Um, and it boots to an OS that looks like Windows 10, hence the, the X part of it. So it's kind of neat. It's kind of a, a cool way to get a Windows feel on a Raspberry Pi. But another Metroid 2 remake comes preloaded, as well as, I believe, Steam and a few other games. Um, so this is also not only AM2R, this would be another pretty cool way to play games on a Raspberry Pi. So why would you want to do that? For use on RGB monitors, of course. Uh, as soon as I heard about this, the first few things I did were bother all of my Linux friends and Linux expert friends to help me make sure I get this working. And then try this under all of the different Raspberry Pi hats that I have access to. And it worked on both uh, Raspberry Pi 3 and 4, but the 3 was just too slow. And I have whatever the fastest Model 3 is. So this really is a Raspberry Pi 4 only type of thing. Um, and while it works great with the HDMI output, you could just use any computer to play AM2R or any other game, really. So um, I was only excited about the RGB monitor aspect of it. So I used one of the GERT 666 adapters. I actually have two or three of those laying around, so all of them worked fine. Uh, and it outputted 240p. Everything looked fine. The only thing was there was some horizontal interference, um, like a, a weird line going down the middle of the screen that didn't seem to... It didn't follow the adapter that I used and none of the changes inside AM2R were able to fix it. So VSync on stretch versus full or anything like that. Uh, so it could have something to do with the timings that I used. I just used the basic 320 by 240. Um, so any experts, you know, I'd love to hear your opinions on it. I couldn't get it to work with HDMI to composite or to component video like I talked about, and I couldn't get it to work on the RGB Pi. And a friend is still borrowing my RetroTINK Ultimate, so I couldn't test that as well. So this is all very new in the stages. I mean, it just just came out, so um, I think it's really worth spending some time checking into this, though. Uh, and I don't know how long this build is going to be available. Who knows what the rules are on posting stuff like this. So definitely check out the video linked in the uh, post and download it from there. But having something like this, I think is really excellent. And I think, you know, stripping down as much from the OS as possible so that this could work uh, is 
is another important thing to look at and treating it kind of like the RGB Pi team does with their software and that boot to a, a good but you know a, a basic or men, more basic menu than something like a fully functional Windows 10 have what they call the 10 foot interface so you could use your controller to select games and do it that way and I think being able to especially play games that you've purchased on Steam like Sonic Mania or um, I'd really love to play Axiom Verge on a you know on a monitor like this um and I, I think that would be pretty cool for people that use CRTs. Uh, and also, you know, there's different ways now to get Raspberry Pi working on S-Video and Composite. So it's not just limited to people with RGB monitors. It's anybody who wants to experience this on a TV. Uh, now they can. We just need to get over some of the bugs. So any Linux experts that wouldn't mind helping out with this and, uh, you know, figuring out any way to get this stuff working, even if it's the opposite, instead of tweaking Raspbian X to work the way we wanted to maybe just take box 86 and add that to an existing retro install. Um, you know, certainly nothing wrong with Raspbian X and it even includes RetroPie and a bunch of other gaming related stuff. Uh, I just very excited about this because there's a lot of people that would love to experience some of these games on CRTs. Um, and now this, you know, this would be the cheapest and easiest way to do so if we just get a couple of bugs ironed out. Also, I did try my Bluetooth controller, and I had some issues, but I don't know if it's the 8-BitDo SN30 controller I used. I don't know if it's something to do with Raspbian X or a combination of everything, but um, it did work perfect with a USB controller. I bought just a cheap Super Nintendo one online and for like 10 bucks on Amazon, and it, it actually feels like a pretty decent controller, and it seemed to work okay. So uh, because this all just came out, I haven't had time to really put it through its paces, so hopefully um, any Linux nerds out there would step up to the plate and help out with this because obviously I'm pretty excited about it. Well, that's it for this week. Before I go, I just want to thank everybody one more time. It's so unbelievable that I got to 200 of these. And I know there's a few people that have been there since the start. Um, so I just thank you all so much. And of course, and especially thanks so much to everybody that supports on Patreon and Floatplane, because it's really you that's keeping all of these going, as well as all the behind the scenes research and all the other craziness I'm a part of. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.